0: Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another episode of Comfort's Corner, where we look inside the transit industry, what's happening in and around our efforts to respond to and recover from the COVID-19 crisis. And today uh, is our last regular daily episode of Comfort's Corner, the end of the month. This is uh, April 29th and 30th episode. After this, in the month of May, we'll be falling back to a every other week cadence, We already have in place our regular Transit Unplugged half-hour interview show that's reached number one across the world for public transit CEO interviews, uh, and that will continue. Our episode for May 1st will be the illustrious CEO of LA Metro, Phil Washington, who talked to me last week about their agency, how they're moving forward. It'll be a phenomenal interview. It was a phenomenal interview. It'll be a phenomenal show for you to listen to on uh, on May 1st. And uh, then we're going to be doing, uh, as we normally do, the 15th and the 30th of each month will be our regular transit unplugged half-hour interview show with the CEO. And then in the intervening weeks, every other week, we'll have an episode of Comfort's Corner where we're going to talk about headline news like we do today in just a moment, where we have a newsmaker interview that maybe is not a CEO of a transit agency, but maybe a thought leader from a think tank like you know Eno Center for Transportation or, or um, a CIO maybe of some agency who's talking about how their agency is ramping up various aspects of IT or maintenance leader who talks about how they're responding to things. And then we'll take a look at our book, the future of public transportation and the concept of what we're going to be doing long-term in this agency to recover, uh, in our agencies to recover. So this is um, our final kind of every other day show. And then we'll be going to every other week in between our regular episodes of transit unplugged. If you have any questions about that, just email me. I'm at paul.comfort at, Uh, trapegegroup.com i'm also happy to help you in your agency Uh, i've had another agency now reach out to me and ask me to appear as a, a guest of their weekly staff meeting and i'm happy to do that especially now that we're doing it over zoom or microsoft teams where i can just drop in for 15 minutes and give you a kind of a state of the industry and what's happening best practices that transit agencies are doing across the country to respond to this just email me and ask me and if i can fit it into the schedule which i probably can do we'll make it happen man happy to help you My goal is to be, uh, as you know, a transit evangelist and to help out our transit agencies across the world. And today is no different. We've got this headline news show today. And then right after that, we have an interview with Pierre Raz, I just interviewed him a few moments ago, he is uh, CEO of Genitech, a big, big firm uh, based out of Montreal that does security for businesses, tech, tech security for businesses and for transit systems. And you're going to want to listen to this because he talks about the efficacy of these thermal scanners that are being proposed for buses. And I think you'll be surprised about what he says, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Now, speaking about how transit agencies are responding. Uh, to what's happening in the recovery efforts. Uh, there was an awful article in the Wall Street Journal about it this week. Uh, I posted on it on LinkedIn. Basically, it was concerns expressed by uh, big companies, employers in New York City that they're uh, employees are not going to want to ride transit back to work. And so they're looking for satellite offices out in the suburbs where people can drive to it. And, and realtors are talking about, you know, their concerns about people riding public transit. And public transit has gotten a bad rap, in my opinion, in New York City. And New York City MTA officials are scrambling to ensure that the New York subway system doesn't turn into what's being called, quote, a rolling Petri dish, unquote. For a new wave of coronavirus infections once state officials begin easing the lockdown measures according to an article today in mass transit magazine with nearly six million daily commuters pre-pandemic and not enough space to sneeze let alone stand several feet apart there's a growing concern that a return to regular work life will make some strap hangers super spreaders rules put in place earlier this month that require subway riders to wear face coverings are expected to remain in place for months to come, officials said. But even with the MTA's best efforts, transit leaders say the public has some responsibility for containing the virus. Interim New York city transit president, Sarah Feinberg said, customers awareness of and engagement with their own safety will be key to reopening. Everyone in the system will have a role to play in keeping our city healthy. And so, uh, MTA uh, transportation officials have reached out to health experts to determine whether strap hangers, people that hold on to the straps, you know, in the subway, can safely stand less than six feet apart if they're all wearing masks. I'm interested in what their take is on that. Get this: I know you already heard these numbers, but it's just phenomenal when I read it. Subway ridership has fallen by roughly 93 percent this last month, but projections published by the MTA estimate that that number will tick up to 60 percent by September, and um, so. You're probably aware that the that there's been um, thousands of frontline workers who have contracted COVID-19 or been directed to quarantine uh, and the workforce shortage has forced the MTA to reduce subway service by roughly 30 percent since late March. Uh, The MTA heads plan to expand a program to check the temperatures of all transit workers and Governor Cuomo of New York on Monday of this week announced that 1,000 MTA employees will receive antibody tests this week to estimate how many frontline transit workers have caught the disease. At least 84 MTA employees have died with coronavirus complications, according to officials. And uh, the MTA has hired private contractors to ramp up its cleaning efforts to address the cleanliness issue. The agency plans to expand an initiative launched in March to disinfect each subway car and bus every 72 hours and clean surfaces and stations multiple times a day. Transit officials have even toyed with the idea of installing hand sanitizer dispensers at every subway station, mirroring an initiative announced in Paris earlier this month, but they're wary that New York's riders will damage or destroy the devices. The state doesn't have a timeline yet for easing back into regular life, but Cuomo announced on Monday that restrictions will be relaxed in some upstate areas starting May 15th, but offered no timetable for downstate, which is where New York City is. And they're also trying to address the growing number of homeless people who have turned to mass transit for shelter during the pandemic. And um, and so it is um, it is very interesting to see how they are handling it. The city is trying to open up more safe haven beds, they're calling it, prioritized for the most vulnerable, unsheltered New Yorkers. And um, the... the uh, They're trying to figure out a way to fully respond to this, and, uh, of course, they're the largest transit system in America, so we focus on them a little bit uh, because they're looking at solutions which could be uh, applicable to other transit agencies. Other transit systems, uh, let's take a look at Canada. As you're probably aware, as of today, April 29th, there has been no... uh, federal help for operating dollars in Canada, unlike America, where the Congress quickly passed $25 billion as part of the CARES Recovery Act for public transit agencies, which is 280% of their FY 2020 allocation. There's been no such help out of Canada. Now, Canada, traditionally though, has not been involved, the federal government, in providing operating dollars. We did a um, we did a show this week, a, a nationwide webinar, Trapeze did, where I had um, the, the head of a transit system Uh, on, and he was, you know, confirming what we've heard, you know, multiple times, uh, that, you know, this is not traditionally the way the federal government in Canada responds they provide capital dollars not operating but they're asking for help with operating dollars and they're not getting it so far and so a number of transit agencies are laying off hundreds and even over a thousand employees to get this the city of Edmonton Alberto is says an additional 900 city employees will be temporarily laid off as the city continues to wrestle with the lower demand of financial fallout of COVID-19 how many of those are transit operators nearly half of them That's right. Uh, Nearly half of the of the 900 people will be, uh, you know, public transit drivers. Our buddy Eddie Robar, who heads up Edmonton Transit Services, um, I have yet to talk to him in the last week about this, but they just announced it. They've adjusted service, urged essential trips only and suspended fares to preserve service while enhancing safety. Um, Their ridership is down 85 percent on some of their routes, uh, according to the transit app, which they use. Uh, The layoffs will be effective May 4th. And employees who were given notice can redeploy to other departments that are stressed, and the city has not confirmed the length of the temporary layoffs. You probably heard uh, last week both TransLink um, and the Toronto Transit Commission announced layoffs and other cost-cutting measures in response to the financial stress caused by the pandemic. I was texting the CEO of TransLink, Kevin Desmond, who's a good friend of mine and has been a uh, frequent guest on our show, uh, just the concerns they have. The Canadian Urban Transit Association, CUDA, and our, our buddy Marco D'Angelo is the CEO there. They have requested back in March that the federal government provide emergency financial assistance to Canadian transit systems, citing the combination of financial hardship and that riders who continue to take transit during this time you know, are providing essential services, but they've yet to do it. Marco D'Angelo says, as life adapts to these extraordinary times, we can fly less, we can get takeout or delivery, we can work from home. There are programs to help people affected by these changes. But transit, he says, is one of those things that shouldn't be shut down because despite massive reductions in ridership, it's an essential service for people who do essential work and needs our support. And uh, there was a good article that I, I tweeted out today. If you get a chance to look at the Eno Center, Rob Puente is the executive director there. Uh, he's taking a look at what the stats show. And while the commuter type services are down dramatically, uh, regular bus service is only down about 50%. And so the people that are needing it to go to essential services still make up half our ridership. And so, um, you know, even though you, when you average in commuter train, commuter bus and some of these commuter style services into it, it makes the numbers drop more to 70, 80, 90%. Uh, The regular bus services in city, which have always been traditionally the heavy haulers, right? When I was CEO of Baltimore, I had 380,000 passengers a day on six different modes, Half of them rode transit. A quarter million drivers, a quarter million passengers. They were on transit, and then the rest were way down. I mean, light rail was twenty-five thousand. The subway was forty-five thousand a day. You know, so ten times the light rail ridership in Baltimore when I was there was bus versus light rail. So, uh, and the commuter services were even less. Right? We had fifteen thousand people riding three hundred fifty motor coaches every day on commuter bus, um, and uh, a little bit more than that on commuter trains. But um, the Mark train service. But again, bus service is the behemoth in our cities. And even in cities like Washington DC and other cities, the ridership on buses are still pretty healthy compared to uh, especially, you know, the Metro services and um, and the commuter train services. One last bit of news, uh, again, depressing news, we haven't really talked a whole lot about it, but the motor coach industry, right? And motor coach companies, they're the ones that get contracted out. I used to run a motor coach company for Mark Joseph, Yellow Bus, and I ran the Loudoun County Commuter Bus Service and two commuter bus services for MTA routes. And, uh, you know, we also got the bulk of our money, right? uh, Was from, on our motor coach industry, was from contracts to do charter business, right? Tours, meetings, conferences, movies. Uh, You know, we ran the movie, uh, you know, uh, one of the big movies, about the civil war we transported all these extras out there to the field you know gods and generals i think the name was and um but motor coach companies man have have really suffered a big gut punch the american bus association has released a report showing the effect that COVID 19 is having on the u.s motorcoach industry and nearly the entire industry is currently shut down in every corner of the country according to an article in metro magazine most charter and tour companies have closed their doors. Commuter operations have mostly stopped running. And scheduled service operations are operating at about 15% of capacity. The industry is seeing a fallout between 80 to 90% of canceled trips and very few future bookings. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's been bad. Uh, my buddy, Peter Pantuso, who is president and CEO of the American Bus Association, says, this is the worst crisis our industry has ever faced in our more than 100 years of business. And he says, we're seeing devastation worse than 9-11. And we've had no help from the federal government. When Congress was handing out $100 billion to airlines, Amtrak, and public transportation, he says they left out the private motor coach industry, and, uh, you know, they're saying that there are, you know, 64,000 motor coach jobs, which could be lost on an annualized basis, the industry will lose nearly $11 billion in sales. And they're talking about 18 to 24 months before it returns to uh, regular ridership. And that lines up with the numbers that I saw. I went back and looked at um statistics from the uh, online from the US Transportation Bureau of Statistics to look at the 911 11 recovery from airlines you know after 9 11 when they shut down airplanes for a while and then it took them 18 months or longer to recover their ridership and that's what they're saying could be similar to the motor coach industry so again real concerns about how the transit and public transit industries are recovering especially motor coaches and in the in the country of canada you know, they're having to lay off a lot of people as they wait for a, a potential recovery package. So not a lot of great news today, but it's news that you need to hear because it's what's happening really in this industry. Now stay tuned for our interview with Pierre Raz uh, of Genitech, and then a look at our book, The Future of Public Transportation. There is a future. It's, it's maybe not as bright as it once was, but we are resilient. And our leaders are brilliant in this industry, and they're working on ways to recover. We'll continue to cover that every other week on this Comfort's Corner series as part of the Transit Unplugged uh, podcast. Thanks so much for being with us, and stay safe out there.
1: This is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute. As you know, we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, leadership, and other attributes with the hopes that it will inspire you to pay it forward. Well, this is your week. I'd like you to do the inspiring and join me on a kindness challenge. Grab a notepad and a pen and write down three things that you think you could do this week to help somebody out or change their perspective. They don't have to cost a thing. They can be simple gestures, simple acts of kindness. As simple as if you're out cutting your lawn, perhaps cut the next-door neighbors too, just because. Write a thank-you note to a local business that stayed open within your community during the COVID crisis and thank them and their staff for continuing to provide essential service. Simple acts of kindness are often the most appreciated. This past Easter, my wife and I did some Easter baskets for the shut-in relatives that weren't able to get out. We drove up and dropped them off, tied to a seven-foot pole, sure to keep our distance. Everybody got a good laugh. It's times like these when you have to keep a sense of humor, but a simple act can go so far in changing somebody's day. Keep safe. Keep kind. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for being with us today on another episode of Comfort's Corner, the Transit Unplugged series, which looks inside the transit industry and how we're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. And today, I'm excited to have the CEO of the big company, Genitech, on with us, Pierre Ras. Pierre, thanks so much for being our Newsmaker interview today.
2: Uh, Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So uh, I heard, uh, before we really get into it, I was just talking to Beverly uh, Wilkes, uh, your communications Uh, Leader and she was telling me you all had a big webinar lately. So uh, just recently It's like you had thousands and thousands of people on board a lot of people have canceled their conferences now I know our company did the same or postponing them, but you decided to turn it into a um, an online event Tell us a little bit about that. That's pretty awesome
2: All right. Well, we called it connect digital experience It happened last week. Uh, We had 8,000 registrants um, and uh, it really was in order to replace uh, the trade shows that have been cancelled uh, this uh, this season. Uh, and uh, there were live events, we had panels, uh, um, we had for example in the panel, we one of the panels we had Jonathan Balloon, Vice President of Intel, and he was joined by Brad uh, Brekke. We had uh, the Chief Security Officer of, um, 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 oh geez we had a lot of, uh, a, lot yeah. of uh, a lot of a lot of big wigs a lot of important people and so then it was um, a mixture of uh, technical information that we were sending out and uh, and interactive conversations so it, we, it was like a virtual trade show we had our little workstations um, and uh, the um, uh, and uh, people could come to the workstations and ask specific product uh, questions. Okay. And you know, so not to uh, to insult, we had the chief security officer of Uber and of uh, um, of um, wasn't and the the security manager of Starbucks. So it wow. was. Uh, oh, and Barclays also was there. I, I mustn't forget all the guests. Yes,
0: that's all
2: right. it was a forum where people could share how they're dealing with uh, the, the crisis and how um, technology can be applied intelligently uh, to help mitigate this solution, the situation.
0: That's awesome. I know a lot of people are familiar with Genitech, but for those who aren't, can you just give us a little a little bit about your company and maybe a little about yourself?
2: Um, so... Uh, Genotech is an engineering company. We're uh, roughly 1,600 strong. Uh, two-thirds uh, of the crew are located in Canada, the rest uh, around the world. Uh, we have research and development that's mainly done in Quebec, but we also have stuff that's done in France, in England, Austria, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, Um and we, again, as I said, we're a software engineering company, and we operate in the, in the physical security space. Our flagship products are video management, access control, license plate recognition, and on which we build uh, the security of security, making sense of your sensors and driving operational efficiency. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm an engineer, first by vocation, then by training.
0: Very good. so um during this um during this pandemic crisis, how have you been working with transit
2: agencies to assist them? So uh, we've been uh, uh, helping all our customers, but especially the customers uh, uh, in uh, the in the public sector. And uh, we've been doing quite a few things. I think that the, the basic categories of stuff that we were doing is we were supporting experimentation and provide and preventing bad engineering. <laughs> so uh, you know the um, uh, and we our customers. So you know as an engineer, we we make tools, and the best reward we can get is when our customers come up with new ways of using the tools that we didn't imagine. And so, uh, an example of this was McCormick Place, which is the large convention center in uh, Chicago. And they came up with the idea of this uh, contagion proximity report. So, when uh, someone is suspected of being contagious, um, then we can ask the access control system who badged in in uh, very close temporal proximity to these people. And uh, so then that will give you a list of uh, people that have potentially contracted, uh, been contaminated. And actually, as it turns out, two weeks ago, they actually um, used it on a real-life case where someone actually tested positive, announced it at work, and then they went back into uh, where he went through the buildings um, in the prior couple of days and was able to provide a list of people that should be careful about um, um, or, of, about self-quarantining uh, quarantining themselves. Uh, another thing that we did is uh, we have a, in our bistro, we don't have any cashier. What we do is we have an honours system where people just badge in and declare what food they've taken. And <laughs> Someone came up with a clever idea of using that as an honor system personal protective equipment dispensary. So we repurposed that for a couple of, of our customers. So this is used by um, a, a very a variety of our customers that require a, a personal protective equipment, including transit authorities. Okay. Uh, another thing that we did for the airports is the our airports team built a proximity report based on the... Um, um, the, the real-time uh, location sensing inside of the building. So, some, some of our customers are equipped with um, with uh, ways of locating people inside of a building by triangulating the Wi-Fi, and so then we're able to make proximity reports based uh, based on that. In terms of engineering, and that's where the thermal cameras come in, um, we have to help our customers because there's a lot of actually uh, snake oil and ambulance chasing that is going around. The security uh, thermal cameras are really, uh, they don't have, uh, generally don't have enough, uh, temperature resolution to, um, to actually measure a fever, so a lot of them have plus or minus five degrees Celsius, which is good to know if you're alive or not. Right. Uh, yeah. It's good to know if there's a, a fire on the tracks, but it's not good enough to do sense uh, temperature. There's others that actually have uh, half a degree C uh, of resolution, which is almost good enough. It's good in the sense uh, that um you can do it but sometimes you have to well first of all you have to calibrate them with you know a black body uh that's simple enough to do but um again uh, the other uh, the other problem you have is let's say you have someone that's running after a bus well they're going to be warm because they're running after the bus and so they'll be denied entrance to the bus for um, for the wrong reasons similarly if they've been waiting in the sun for a long time for the bus or just long enough their temperature also will be high. So that's all examples of bad engineering. And certainly I think that, um, people have overhyped, uh, what the thermal cameras uh, can do. Now there are some special sensors that are designed to do that. FLIR has a good one. And so that you can integrate, but that's not a security camera. And so I think that, uh, um, one of the things we must do is make sure that uh, our customers use their resources wisely because they are now in limited supply, both time and um, money. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause
0: I've seen that bandied about in lots of articles, you know, that that's the next step is to do the thermal cameras and not allow people to board. And you're saying right now, the technology isn't that uh,
2: refined. Uh, no. And uh, you know, you're much better off, you um, You know, you're much better off doing simple things that work. Uh, I don't know if you saw the interview uh, of uh, uh, Lieutenant General uh, Semonite, but he basically said this is a complicated situation, so only simple solutions will work. (laughs)
0: That's good, yeah. And then there's the question of, you know, are people who are asymptomatic still able to pass the the virus? And there's a lot of people that say that that's true. And so even if they were thermal cameras did work, it would only get some of the people who are potentially able to pass on and not others who are asymptomatic. So I've wondered about that as well. It's very interesting. Thank you. So what are your thoughts on like recovery out of this? So, you know, a lot of places now are kind of, um, you know, at the trough and are coming back out for public transit. Any thoughts on how how we can recover from it?
2: Uh, well, um, my, you know, I think that we have a, an equilibrium to uh, maintain and one is we need a minimum amount of uh, economic activity, but also we need a minimum amount of hygienic distancing. And so, uh, right, if we do it too fast, we're going to do it in in ways that are uh, not, uh, not uh, based on science. So people should... Um, should not go too fast, and we we have to take this opportunity to teach people. unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of noise uh, out there. But like proper use of masks, so if you're gonna go in a public transit, wearing a mask is so that you don't contaminate other people. It doesn't matter if you've been tested, if you've been tested positive, there's two reasons why you want uh, to do this. One is we don't know yet if it doesn't if the thing doesn't come back uh two uh is that it's reassuring to the other people, especially the drivers who are really putting uh themselves at risk by exposing themselves to so many potential contamination events um, and if you've tested negative also that's not necessarily uh, uh, that doesn't mean that you uh, it means you were tested negative when the test occurred, and that could be a day ago, and you might actually been asymptomatic or just fell below the noise floor of the tests yesterday. And today, you're you're you might be contagious. So, wearing a mask is really a new form of politeness. It's interesting how Japan started wearing masks after the 1918 uh, epidemic. And uh, since then, uh, they during cold season they wear this because they are a very polite society. Yes, <laughs> that's interesting.
0: Well, thanks. Is there any any other thoughts you wanted to share with us before we go today?
2: Um, no, I just uh, I hope that uh, everyone uh, stays safe, and that I hope that uh, everyone has uh, learned a little bit more about science. Bill Gates wrote this really interesting article last week that I thought had the best explanation uh, for uh, non-math geeks about how exponential exponential phenomena work. So I highly recommend people read that.
0: Very good, thank you, Pierre. Raz, uh, CEO of uh, of your company, and and what an exciting time for you to be able to assist us in the public transit industry in making sure that, like you said, we, we use uh, sensible, simple tools to help uh, keep our systems safe.
2: I use public transit, so I need it to be there.
0: There you go. Thank you. Appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for being with us today on this midweek episode of Comfort's Corner, part of the Transit Unplugged family. And today as we always do we'd like to end the show with a reading from our book the future of public transportation it is the hot topic that's on everyone's mind right now is what will public transportation look like when we come out of this pandemic so in the book I wrote a, um, an initial chapter uh, on practical improvements and it was called make it work better and a big part of I think any recovery from transit is to make it work better a lot of agencies have been involved in or were planning to do a major bus route reboot, where they take people where they want to go today, not where they wanted to go 50 years ago. And in the book, uh, in this uh, part one chapter, uh, I talk about how we did that at Baltimore at the MTA, where I was CEO for a couple of years. And I go through a big description of several pages of what we were doing. Today, I want to read from a section I wrote about what went on after we developed the plan, how we implemented it, because I think it will have implications for how we implement whatever new um, Priorities public transit becomes. Some folks are talking about adding in a micro transit feature uh, to take over for some of the heavy, for some of the lighter use routes. Instead of running heavy buses on those, instead run, you know, the lighter, maybe some of the paratransit vehicles. And so there's lots of new ideas floating around about what transit will be. And so I want to read to you today from the book as ideas that you may be able to take from it. For your transit system as you implement whatever new ideas you come up with and it's called from there it's from page 23 of the book which is available still online on amazon and barnes and noble you can order a book a copy of the book the future of public transportation either for electronic digital download or a hard copy from there from there i started with our people and directed the creation of a five-star customer service training program with five levels of competency We required this training for all of our receptionists, administrative assistants, and others who interacted with the public, including bus operators. We also revamped new employee training to include a day where all new staff, such as IT, finance, media relations, human resources, procurement, engineering, legal, etc., visited the operations facilities and met with employees there to ensure they had at least a basic understanding of what business they were in now. I found that many employees in the administrative functions never visited operations or rode a bus, so I felt they did not have an appreciation for our core business. This one-day bus tour to several garages and the operations control center at the end of their week-long orientation, which was shortened down from the two weeks it had been, and many classes moved to self-paced online videos to can be completed within the first 90 days of employment, became a favorite for most new employees and took the adage to heart, a picture is worth a thousand words. I did regular television, radio, newspaper interviews, preparing the public for our upcoming changes. We had developed our own MTA radio station, WTTZ FM 93.5, to help spread the news and explain the details that regular media might not cover. We also had our own home team, hometown football star, Baltimore Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco, hold a press conference to do interviews and have his likeness on the side of five of our buses. His jersey number was five. We figured this was a way we could get the news about the new service changes and how they would improve trips to our football and baseball stadiums on game days to even the guys who only read the sports page of the newspaper. The Baltimore Symphony Orchestra held many concerts on our routes to draw attention to how route coverages and route changes would help patrons get to the arts throughout the city. We even had a fare-free information bus travel each and every route of the system on which our service ambassadors, employees, and contractors trained on the new system features would explain the proposed route changes to individual passengers one-on-one and hand out info. For city council and state legislators from the region, our team met with them individually and gave them one-page route comparisons that showed the existing bus routes in their district and the proposed new ones. We took their feedback on routes and made some adjustments. We invited these elected representatives to welcome the public and speak in our community meetings. We also gave them enough copies of the route comparisons that they could provide these to their constituents and have them in their district offices. This enabled the local legislators to be part of the process and have ownership of the new routes and overall Baltimore Link system. Then in June 2017, the MTA ripped the band-aid off the old system and overnight there was a new bus route network With a new name, logo, and design, new bus stop signs, schedules, shelters, websites, buses, and employees all shining, we had followed our guiding principles but made smart compromises with community groups and others' feedback by not adjusting some routes where there was significant community pushback. This was our plan, edited by our passengers and key stakeholders, and open to future adjustments as necessary. That's the end of the reading for today, and there's more information about how we did that bus reboot, which a lot of folks are now uh, holding off on doing until they see what the ridership trends look like when people come back on the bus. I encourage you to take a look at that insight as you evaluate what you're going to do in your system going forward. Again, thanks for being with us uh, for today's Comforts Corner episode. We are uh, switching this format to three shows a week to every other week. We're going to do one show It'll be on Wednesdays, and it'll start in May. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, our next regular podcast for Transit Unplugged will be on May 1st, in which we'll have Phil Washington as our guest. And then we'll, every other week on a Wednesday, you'll hear this Comfort's Corner show, which will be news headlines from the public transit industry, a newsmaker interview, and a look at what the future public transportation might look like from our book. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Paul Comfort, wishing you safety and purpose in your life as we continue to help the millions of people who still rely on public transit for their mobility in these trying times. Thank you.